2: You always have to wake up.
1: Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to Veritas at veritasradio.com, where we believe nothing but consider everything. This is the first edition of Season 4, and 2012. I'm still your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. Now let's buckle up. This is going to be an exciting year. I want to thank you, Veritas member, for making this program possible. And to start the year, tonight's special guest is Sean David Morton. We will discuss highlights of 2011 predictions and projections for 2012 and beyond, as well as the confluence of events taking place this year, which happen every 26,000 years only, galactic alignment, and more. Sean David Morton will be with us shortly. And to listen to our full interview, just go to VeritasRadio.com and start the year on the right track. Click on the subscribe button and you'll receive access to all of our material including tonight's interview, which is jam-packed with information, and it's three hours long. And if you want to get in touch with me, click on the contact button of our website. Is our future predetermined, or are we responsible for changing the probabilities and altering it? What or who shapes the future? What happened in 2011? And what's in store for 2012? including Operation Unified Vision, which essentially renders posse comitatus, void and puts our military in action in our own country. Are our soldiers practicing urban warfare in Afghanistan and Iraq for events that are planned in the United States? Is the National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA, part of this plan in order to circumvent our Constitution and our Bill of Rights? This and much more with Sean David Morton, who's coming up next. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere.
2: Robert Morning Sky, and you are listening to The Veritas Show.
1: Sean David Morton's stunningly accurate predictions of future events in his books, lectures, and Delphi Associates newsletter have brought him international recognition as one of America's premier futurists, projective economists, intuitive healers, researchers, and spiritual teachers. He has been the director of the Prophecy Research Institute since 1992. Sean tirelessly continues his quest to bring the light of world media attention to the paranormal, the prophetic, and to the ascension of mankind. And directly from Southern California, I would like to welcome Sean David Morton back to Veritas. Hello, Sean. How are you?
2: Thank you so much, Mel. It's a, it's an honor and a pleasure and a delight. And Happy New Year to you and everybody out there.
1: Same to you. Yeah, this is the very first episode of the year. And I talked to us about a little synopsis of 2011 and then talk about the, the, the future as you see it. Let's start with 2011 first. Just give us a synopsis of what you saw in 2011 and how it's going to take us to 2012.
2: Well, I think the biggest thing, and I'm, I'm sort of an odd voice in the wilderness on a lot of this stuff here, is because you know it's my belief that, that, that predicting the future and even the word prophecy itself, which is misunderstood, prophecy means, prophecy means teacher of righteousness. Prophecy just means somebody that says, you know, look, people, if, if you do ABC, XYZ is going to logically follow. And you know, if you look at even the biblical Old Testament prophets, they were the ones who understood the cycles and the patterns, uh, the warp and weave of of history politically and economically, and so were able to predict a lot of things for uh, the nation of Israel in the uh, in the Old Testament. So, for me, 2011 was actually good news in a lot of ways, and and I, I have to I have to kind of skewer that by saying things like for. Since I started studying a lot of this, since, you know, since I, since I, you know, I lived in a monastery in Nepal in 1986, and I had a lot of uh, spiritual experiences back then in India. And you know, I lived in Darbsala where the Dalai Lama was in residence while I was there, and then I lived in, in Nepal with a, uh, in a, uh, in a, in a Buddhist monastery there for a while. And since I became sensitive to the earth and sensitive to the planets, and started practicing a lot of the meditative techniques that. That free you, if you will, from time and space that allow you to kind of flow down the timeline um, i 've been talking about various disasters and various things that could quite possibly occur to the planet um, and those those major things being for example, and this this is what I was worried about, and also what the uh, what the u s military has been worried about, what global governments have been worried about, and what I guess what you would call the uh, uh, the shadow government to the black government, if you will, whatever you want to call it that's kind of behind the scenes. The mother corporation, I guess, would be the best way. The puppeteer. That create, yeah, that then creates franchises that we then call the United States and Canada and Germany and you know Russia and whatever else. So they're all little franchises of the mother corporation. Right. And um, the biggest things that I saw was that, uh, number one, uh, there has been um, a series of prophecies that are backed up by the, things like the Great Pyramid of Giza, as an example, of a series of water-based natural catastrophes that would begin in late 2004 through about 2006, and actually, I think Christmas this year was the seven-year anniversary of the Asian tsunami that killed about 250,000 people or so. Um, and um, leading up to a period between 2012 and about 2016, that was going to be a a, a savagely active uh, sunspot. Uh, the cycle, uh, that, that we're moving into cycle 24, in which the sun was going to go crazy and that we were going to be faced with, uh, I guess, what you would call massive uh, coronal mass ejections and possible kill shots, you know, things that could, you know, kind of wreck Earth's Day. Uh, part two is that uh, true north and magnetic north have been marching towards each other ever since we began atomic hydrogen and cobalt bomb testing on this planet, Beginning in 1945. Now, the magnetic north of the planet—people are. This is kind of a confusing thing. True north, which is the uh, which is the axial north, is was about a thousand miles or so away from the magnetic north pole. And there's three magnetic north poles. There's like an A, a B, and a C of the magnetic north poles that are right kind of within within a, a very small short distance of each other. And they were pretty stable. When it was first discovered in 1832, I think. Um, it was all pretty stable, and then what happened was, is that after 1945, they began to map the the Arctic regions. Are the uh, they began to map the north uh, the North Pole. Uh, this was the U.S. military, and it was actually something called the flight of the Keybird. Uh, they took the last of the uh, B-17 bombers. I hope that's right. Uh, the the Enola Gay, I think, was one, and that's in the Smithsonian. The only other one that was working was the Keybird. And they outfitted it, and they started mapping the North Pole. They started mapping a, because you can't use compasses when you fly over the top of the North Pole. So they mapped it out as a grid system, and they started actually marking where the North Pole was. And they began to realize the magnetic north, which was perfectly fat and happy where it was in 19, I'm sorry, in 1832, uh, began moving north rather radically. It became what they called untethered from the uh, from the core of the planet. And started marching north. Well, this then led to a series of reports by the Rand Corporation in Santa Monica, a lot of testing, uh, even things that are going on today at Hybrid Ed University in India, that Magnetic North and True North were moving towards each other at a, at, a, at a disastrous rate. And these are reports way back in the day. Of course, this was back when they were saying, you know, 2012 was so far off in the future. This was when. You know, like when Disneyland opened in 1955, yeah. it was the it was the futuristic world of 1986. You know, and you know it was way far away. So the challenge being is that they believed in all these military reports um, that true north and magnetic north would meet at some point between 2012 and about 2014 or so, and that when this happened, you would experience either uh, a massive electromagnetic shifting of the poles, which of course would then be disastrous for civilization as we know it. It would fry everything that's connected to a ground wire, if you will, because uh, the natural frequency of the planet is 7.83 hertz. And for some reason, we've geared everything to uh, closer to 60 hertz, actually. It's a 60-cycle frequency. And um, so you have to have a ground wire that grounds everything into, you know, the actual frequency of the planet. So basically everything that's connected to a ground wire, everything electrical on Earth would fry, and we would suddenly be plunged back, in the, you know, back into the 19th century. So, um, and the RAND Corporation wasn't fully expecting this to happen and part three of this is that the planet itself was was actually slowing and the rotational frequency of the planet was slowing which was very bad and they were worried about a series of massive earth changes which could still occur and remember they and again the. The corporatocracy or the mother corporation or whatever, they know everything that I'm talking about. They know everything about the Mayan calendar. They know everything about the remote viewing stuff. They know everything, everything, the astrological alignments that are going on. Believe me, they take all of this stuff into account. My take on this has been that what we've seen happen, and again, I seem to be the only person that's not jumping up and down and yelling and screaming and saying that the global elite wants to murder us all and that they want to wipe out, I don't know, six and a half billion people and leave only 500 million people on the planet. Because everything I've seen uh, to that effect, the only place that I've seen global population uh, reduction be successful in any way, shape, or form um, has been, say, maybe uh, about 175 to maybe as many as 200 million people over the course of the last 30 years or so uh, killed in Africa primarily from uh, from AIDS, which was basically laced into a polio vaccine uh, by the World Health Organization mm-hmm. and and again um, and then it was it, it was it was very specifically uh, scientifically introduced into this country in very small uh, into about 50,000 people in in uh, San Francisco in New Kansas, York New York right. Yeah, through through a company called uh, Pyramid Pharmaceuticals, and they were testing a hepatitis uh, C vaccine at the time. So here's what I'm seeing, and and, and again, and this is why I think 2011 is very interesting. Uh, Number one, um, beginning in 2009, uh, something occurred in Norway that at the same time (laughs) Barack Obama um, the spiral. yeah, but, but Barack Obama was there receiving the Nobel Peace Prize. Even Barack Obama was like, what? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, Come on, okay, I get it, I'm cool, I'm black, but, you know, I really haven't done anything yet, I really don't deserve this. So even Obama was kind of playing it off. But it gave an excuse for all these world leaders to go to Oslo, Norway, where you had kind of a Bilderberg meeting of some of the, you know, the richest and wealthiest people in the world there. Then this weird spiral occurs in the sky. Now, people try to play it off as a Russian nuclear test, which the Russians said, that's ridiculous. Other people try to play it off as other things. But at that point, and I think there is a distinct possibility, and, I, and, and, and my research shows absolutely overwhelming evidence that this spiral was created um, by, I guess, what you would call the Scandinavian version of HARP, right. which is called IceCat. And cat creates And by the way, that you can all the electricity in the in the country at that time, that the spiral was going, the electricity just spiked when they turned all these satellite dishes on, and they created this kind of. Uh, there's five or six different dishes around Norway that they can create this huge beam in the sky. I believe that one of two things occurred. That that spiral represented some kind of zero point energy or a a black hole kind of phenomenon. And it did one of two things. One, it pulled energy off the sun. to specifically, and there's been all kinds of crazy things going on around the sun. Jaime Masson down in Mexico has produced a fantastic series of photographs that show these planet-sized ships that have been around the sun. I was told in 19... 95 and 96, by a Pleiadian contactee that was a friend of mine, a guy who called himself Audrey Ayn, that was the subject of the Miami Contacts investigation, that there was something wrong with the sun, that the Pleiadians were doing something specifically with the sun, and that there was, and they were trying to fix something with the sun for something that was happening in the future. But not only did it pull energy off the sun, but I think at the same time, it actually somehow altered the magnetic field of the planet, because at that time, now I'm just linking the two together, because approximately December 9th, uh, of 2009, which was the same time that this weird uh, tetrahedron shape, this gray tetrahedron, appeared over Moscow yeah. and just flew around the Kremlin for like a couple of days with everybody filming it and looking up at it, um, the magnetic field of the Earth drastically shifted. And what happened was is that suddenly the, mag- the North Magnetic Pole, which for, again, 60 years had been marching north, going faster and faster and faster and faster, suddenly listens to a little bit too much Fox News or Rush Limbaugh <laughs> or something and takes a hard right turn. And now the North Pole is about 160 miles east heading towards Siberia. So that's okay. So let's check thing number one off the list. Now, a polar flip that all these people, that Velikovsky was talking about, that all these people were talking about in 2012, is, quite frankly, no longer a possibility because of that particular phenomenon. And in all fairness, Edgar Casey did talk about um, a polar shift of some kind between 1998 and 1999, and he said there would be there would be a shifting of the poles or uh, a, a a change in the mass consciousness. And what happened was there was not only a change in the mass consciousness, but at the same time there was a shifting of the poles. What happened was the pole went from went from pole A to pole B to pole C, and there was a very specific shift of the uh, of the polar north at that time to give Edgar Casey some of his due. So right now, so the polar shift is completely off the table. Part two of this whole thing is. It's very interesting because you've seen a series of earthquakes that have aligned with, and whether or not Comet Elenin had anything to do with this, Every t- Elenin was a very interesting comet because you had a fairly large object that was coming in at the same ecliptic as all the other planets in the solar system. So for all intents and purposes, astronomically and astrologically, this comet became another planet that you would actually have to, that was having squares and trines. And anybody that understands astrology could say, I mean, it's pretty unique because comets usually come in at all kinds of weird sort of cattywampus angles. Well, here comes Elenin. And Elenin comes in and every time Elenin took a hard square to the earth, which means a, a, a kind of a torsion field torque to the planet, we had these major earthquakes, and on the square was, the, uh, was an 8.8 earthquake in Chile, which sped up the rotation of the planet. Remember, the rotation of the planet was slowing. Sped up the rotation of the planet, altered the, uh, the, the crust and the continents of the planet. Then on, on the next square, you had a, a 7.2 earthquake in New Zealand. And within four days, I think, and technically you could say that it was actually right on it, because the square itself was on March 9th. The square itself was on March 9th of this last year, and that was when the beginning of the Japanese, uh, you know, the Fukushima earthquake occurred, because it started as like a six four, and then on the tenth it was like a seven two,
1: and on the eleventh, and,
2: and on the eleventh it was the it was the 9.0. Right. Well, again, a a massive body of evidence that that quake was being, if not created, at least exacerbated by or made worse in some ways. By the heart prize. Let me either, let me either...
1: interject for one second before you go with Fukushima. Regarding Obama and the Nobel Peace Prize, he wasn't even he wasn't even sworn in yet. He was the the president elect, and he was nominated for the Peace Prize, having done what? No, that's
2: that's not true. He was no. It's... It was in
1: 2009. Yes, it was. Well, it was 2009. December, it was
2: December 2009. He was elected in 2008. He was sworn in in January, and then he and then, and then it was December of 2009.
1: So well, but he, when was he uh, yeah. given the the uh, peace prize again? December December 9th of 2009. Of 09. Okay. All yeah, right. Of 09.
2: So okay. It's, you know, okay. It's, it's all cool. He was. You know. He's. You know. Even though he's born in Africa, you know.
0: <laughs> Thank you for listening.